Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is December the 6th, 2022, 7 a.m. here in Spotswood. What a blessing it is to be with y'all. And wow, as I just started speaking and we went live, Facebook has yet again changed its entire interface. So I'm looking at a picture of myself about that big now, and I can see, maybe I can even see if you comment like I used to be able to. But shall see. Um, it's great to be with y'all this morning, and I welcome you whether you are live or maybe you're here sometime later in the day or the week or the month or maybe it's 2023 by the time that you get this. I wonder what it's like in the future. Anyway, um, I'm excited to be with you because of our content that we are coming to today. Yesterday, we only made it through one verse, but it was such an important verse. We really focused on verse 16 of John chapter 15. This business of you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. We talked about how salvation works, how God is the author of our salvation from beginning to end, how 100% of the responsibility for us being saved falls on God. And it must be that way, because otherwise we would have a part in our salvation. And the only part in the, that we have in our salvation is our sin that makes it necessary, right? God gets the glory completely and totally. And if you really, if you will entertain that notion, and then you read God's word in light of that notion, all of these marvelous verses come to mind, like in John 1, where it says we're born not of human decision, but out of God. Um, when we hear Jesus or when we hear God's word say, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion, right? So many different passages come out. And y'all, the response from us ought to be gratitude for this. Gratitude that God saves, that he has power to save, and that God holds us in our salvation as well. If you choose to get into something, you can just choose to get right out of it. And yet, because God chooses us, God also holds us, and we can be sure of his promise. I think it was Sproul that said, rest assured, if you could lose your salvation, you would not just you, that goes for me as well. If you could lose your salvation, you would absolutely lose it. But God holds us firm, and he holds us, as we read yesterday in verse 16, so that we would go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then Jesus gives that promise. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Yet again, y'all realize what Jesus is saying here. I didn't get to this yesterday, but the whole in my name portion of this tells us what we need to know about how we ask and what we ask for. If you're remaining in Christ, that means that the will of God is your number one concern because with Jesus, the will of God was his number one concern. Very soon we would hear him say, Father, if it be your will, let your cup pass, but not my will be done. Your will be done. When his disciples said, teacher, tell us how we should pray. Remember what he said? When you pray, he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, right? So he's addressing God as Father, who is in heaven. And then the very first thing that you ask for in the Lord's Prayer is, hallowed be thy name. You know, a lot of times we want our names hallowed. But... <laughs> 
But <laughs> when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said our focus should be on hallowed is thy name or, or let your name be holy. You remember what comes next in the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus's chief concern was always doing the will of God. When he says, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. When we ask in his name, it should be for the will of God. And God will always do this. And that ought to rule out some other prayer requests that we might have, nevertheless. And then he caps things off in this section. And we didn't even get to it yesterday, but this is where we'll start today. This is my command in verse 17. But before we go any further, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray that you would work in our hearts. Help us to understand. Some of these are weighty issues. Yesterday, one of the, the what we focused on, your sovereignty and salvation, that can be hard to understand, and yet your word is abundantly clear in its teaching. So help us to cling to your word and help us with our disbelief. Uh, Father, work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. And let us apply these things to our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So picking up where we left off yesterday, verse 17. This sort of ends this section, or at least it does. You know, there's a different heading between 17 and 18. This is not a freestanding thought. Instead, it is more of a conclusion thought. Remember what Jesus has been doing this whole time back in verse 14, washing his disciples' feet, excuse me, chapter 14, chapter 13. His ultimate command is seen there in verse 17. This is my command, love each other. Y'all, um, remember the basis of commands, right? Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command, right? Jesus said also, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, all of these things. Jesus' overarching command, his, his, his full command is to love one another. And that's a, this makes sense. Jesus came out of love for his people. We're to love one another too. I don't even need to spend any more time on this, y'all, because this ought to be obvious. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes loving one another can be obscured. I will say this. Realize that love is comprehensive, right? That love is not just an idea. Love is not just a declaration. You know, sometimes I've, I've genuinely, I've been in conversations with people that would say, I love so-and-so, but, and then they start to gossip about that individual, right? If you love somebody, that love ought to be comprehensive. Love should not be used as a caveat statement, okay? Uh, to where you say, hey, I love this person, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you every problem I have with them. I'm going to go ahead and point out every flaw that they have. Love keeps no record of wrongs, right? We know that from 1 Corinthians. Love, love keeps no records of wrongs. Love communicates. Love does not gossip about somebody else. That's just one example. God calls on us to have comprehensive love. We were talking about this this past Sunday in Titus in chapter 3 of Titus, where it talks about being kind and gentle with one another. Don't be ready to fight with one another. Don't be filled with malice and envy and all of these things. Instead, 
choose to love. And y'all, it is a choice. It is absolutely a choice. One of the problems in the modern world is we think love only exists for those that we have feelings for and the rest can take a hike. No, no. As I said on Sunday, and I don't remember which verse it was in Titus, I think it was verses four and five. Um, if you look in your Bible, there should be no footnote for verse 17. There is a cross reference for it in mind, but um, there should be no asterisk mark there where it says, this is my command, love each other. If people vote like you, if people look like you, if people act like you, y'all, yeah. we are called to love the people that would destroy us. We are. We are called to love our enemies because we trust that God's going to sort all of that out. Vengeance is his to take it in ours. We can't dispense vengeance with faithfulness. So we must trust in the Lord. Now, after this command to love one another. It's fascinating what comes next in verse 18. It's as if Jesus knows, because he does know, that if you really love people, there's going to be a reaction to it. And there will be. Some people, in turn, will love you. Some people will look at the love that you have and say, wow, that's different. That, that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. How do you do that? I want to be a part of that. I see your love and I want to have that love. That's how Christianity ought to work, you know. We ought to be lights in the world that people recognize. Nevertheless, as soon as Jesus says in verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Look at what he says in verse 18. Jesus knows the reaction to the world seeing real love. He says in verse 18, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. Was the reaction often enough to true love? Often enough, the reaction is hatred. Because remember, love is comprehensive. Love not only delights in other people, love also tells the truth. And recently I had a conversation with someone that, that heard a sermon where it doesn't matter the lifestyle, but the pastor basically said, oh, we need to just love and support everybody and what they're doing. Well, those that's a contradiction because you can't love and support every decision that everybody makes. The reason I say that is, is because sometimes people make disastrous decisions that will lead to their destruction. And if you really love them, then you'll tell them the truth. And y'all, of all the things that the world around us considers an enemy, truth is pretty high on the old list there. Truth, the truth that God is king, that Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords, the truth that one day judgment is coming. And no, I'm not telling you when you have conversations with somebody to lead off with the fact that judgment is coming. There are more effective ways to evangelize. But at the same time, that should enter the conversation at some point in time, not the first one. But at some point, you need to love that person enough to tell them the truth that this life is not all there is. And that one day they'll stand before God and they'll have to give an account and either they'll be covered by Jesus or they could <laughs> either either they are covered by Jesus. Either you and I are covered by Jesus or when that time comes to give an account, we have to give reasoning. 
right? The only valid reason is, yes, I'm a sinner, but Jesus paid for my sin. <laughs> That's the only answer we can give. Y'all, loving people means telling them that. And so as a result, if someone is living a lifestyle that doesn't match God's word, if somebody doesn't know Jesus, if somebody is on the wrong path, you need to love them enough to tell them the truth. And a lot of times people will hate you for that. Because the truth interrupts passion. The truth stands in the way of this pursuit of worldly fulfillment that only fulfills death but nevertheless seems like a good idea at the time. That is how we are wired, and that is how Satan works. Sin is the destroyer, y'all. It will absolutely consume you. And you have to love people enough to come alongside them. And no, I'm not talking about staring.